Welcome to the Flint Citadels podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps. You know, there's a uh, story that goes where a rich man showed up at the, uh, at the uh, meeting that he had with his, his financial counselor. And his financial counselor was a Christian man, and he, he looked at the rich man and he, he says, I, I keep noticing a consistent thing in your, in your financial portfolio here. And, and he, he set him out by the window and he said, now look out there and tell me what you see. And he looked out and it's a busy street, it's a busy business district, and there's tons of people walking around. He says, I don't know, men, women? Children, all kinds of people out here. So then the counselor walked him over to the mirror, and he said, now, what do you see there? He goes, uh, a mirror, I guess I see me. I mean, me. He goes, you know, 
The first time you looked right into that glass and you saw lots of other people. And then you looked at this glass and all you could see was yourself. And as you looked into that glass over here, the only difference is that this glass has got a covering on the back side of it that reflects and it's got a lot of silvery content to it. And so then he turned and looked at the rich man and he said, when you cover yourself with silver, very often you will lose sight of others. And you will only be able to see yourself and the want for yourself. This morning we're going to start a four-week stewardship campaign. And it's designed to educate us about Christian stewardship. And that is uh, going to involve a lot about personal finances. Now these are times of, of economic uncertainty and, and in that kind of a time good stewardship is called for like never before. I would pray that you would have God's wisdom in your heart as you consider these matters. Let's pray. Father, so much of what we emulate shines from you. Help all that we think about reflect your will for our lives, Lord, and not our own. Help us to be looking through the glass and seeing others. Help us to be willing to share and be good stewards of all that you've given us, whether it's money or time or talent. And Father, as we worship together this morning, make us of one mind that we might reach uh, further toward you and walk a closer walk with you as we do so, Lord. For it's in your name that we ask. Amen.
would you like it this morning if through some devious means I was able to get all of your financial data and publish your current financial position for everyone to see put it up here on the screens with your picture and all of the information I think most of you would probably say now now wait a minute that's a violation of my privacy because money is a, a personal matter and you'd be right, because you can tell a lot about a person by how they spend their money. It says a lot about what you value. It tells us to some extent how you feel about God, because if you give generously and consistently to the work of God, that would show up, wouldn't it? If you give the full tithe, the full 10% of what you earn to God's work, there'd be no way to hide it. And if you don't, well, that'd be there for everyone to see too. Jesus put it this way when he said, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, what your heart gets engaged in, your money follows. So we'd be able to tell pretty much how you feel about God. Because if you treasure him, there'd be a money trail. We'd see the evidence. We'd probably be able to tell how 
disciplined a person you are by your savings plan, if you have a savings plan, or if there are frequent overdrafts and late notices and collection agencies. You can tell a lot about a person by how they spend and manage their money. Now, if you feel a little uneasy about this subject, then let me ask you in a loving way. What is it about your money management that's a little embarrassing for you or that frustrates you? What is it about the way you deal with your finances that causes you to say, I've got to do better, I've got to do better? The Bible has some very specific things to say about money. God gave each of us talents and abilities, and God tells us, to instructs us to go out into the world and to earn a living. Use your gifts. Develop your abilities. Support yourself and your family. And be able to have enough left over to help the poor, to help people in need. Colossians 3.17 says, When you do your work, do it heartily as unto the Lord. You know, if we would obey that scripture, common sense says that over the course of a professional life, you're going to handle a small fortune. Some of you might even handle a large fortune. If you earn money consistently, week after week after week, over 30 or 40 or 50 working, earning years, you're going to handle a lot of money. Now, how you are going to handle it is the question this morning. That's what we're talking about today. How do you plan to handle your finances? God's Word has some pretty specific input on this subject. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. A wise person has a plan. In other words, a wise person saves up for the future, puts a plan into effect, and um, uh, has a plan that's looking for the long haul, and, and that plan serves him well in his life. But a foolish person just spends everything. No plan, no strategy, just money comes in, money goes out. The Bible says that ultimately we are accountable to God for how we manage our money. Now you may say, I earned it, I'll spend it any way I want to spend it. And the Bible in effect says, yes, but if God hadn't given you life, if he hadn't given you your next breath, if he hadn't given you some talent and some abilities, and if he hadn't put you in this land of opportunity, you wouldn't be able to earn or spend a cent. So first, recognize that God has been gracious even in enabling us to earn a living. And we are accountable to him as the author of our earning power. You are also accountable to him for how you manage those funds. Another thing that the Bible says is that money management is a part of your Christian commitment as a Christ follower. 
there are some folks who erroneously think that if you're a Christian, you only engage and follow Christ in the spiritual areas of life. You pray, you, you read your Bible some, you come to church, you play in the band, maybe sing in the songsters, maybe you lead a Sunday school class, but then you go out and you do your real life, your real life, and you kind of leave God out of that. But the Bible says that's not the way it works. Our relationship with Christ impacts everything. Our relationships, our money management, how we raise our children. In this election year, on November 4th, you should be able to explain your vote based on your faith in Christ. Our following Christ should impact everything about us. You should be able to justify your decisions based on your faith in Christ because nothing is outside of the realm of faith. Now, money is static. I mean, if you, if you put a pile of money down and there's not a fan blowing on it, it, it stays put. It stays where you place it. You control what happens to it. You know, you can put together a simple budget. And, and by doing that, you ought to be able to figure out a way to make ends meet. And I know in these days, for some folks, that's really a challenge. But there's really not that much to putting together a budget. It's really not that complicated. As the proverb that we looked at earlier said, we need a plan because a wise person develops a plan and then follows it. The foolish person, on the other hand, has no plan, no formula, no strategy. So when the unexpected happens, there's a shortfall. There's panic, anxiety, feelings of frustration and anger and foolishness and sometimes even feelings of shame. The Bible tells us, don't put yourself in that position. The world we live in is an uncertain place. And you don't want to live so close to the edge of financial viability that um, you're liable to be pushed off. So the Bible says you need to come up with a plan and you need to follow that plan. You need to be wise about it. Now I'm not suggesting that you put a, a financial noose around your neck that's going to choke you and choke all the joy of life. In fact, for some of you this morning, You've already put yourself in a financial noose by not having a plan, by not following that plan. So this morning, briefly, I want to share with you a plan that can lead you to financial freedom. If you implement it, if you follow it, it takes patience, it takes self-discipline to find financial freedom. But freedom is always built on a foundation of responsible behavior and self-discipline. It also takes time. Some of us who know what it was to start out and have nothing, there's probably everybody here, knows that it takes time to build uh, financial stability, but you need a plan. What I want to share is the most basic of plans that Christian financial counselors have agreed, agreed upon for decades. Many of you have probably already heard this. And, and it can be adapted to fit your situation. It's historically been called the 10-10-80 plan. And here's how it works. You take your paycheck and you determine in your heart that there are 
two things that you are always going to pay out of that paycheck. Two things you will always pay out of that paycheck. You're going to pay them consistently. You're going to pay them joyfully. Two things that you will never miss. They are priorities. The first is God. The 10-10-80 plan says that you take the first 10%, which is what the scriptures talk about from cover to cover, and you give that to God. You honor God with it. It doesn't matter if you're in high school, in college, if you're working part-time or full-time, if you're struggling or if, or if you're wealthy. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor God with the first fruits of all you earn. Right off the top, the first thing you should say is, God, I want to honor you. I want to demonstrate obedience to your word. I want to demonstrate trust in your provision. I want to demonstrate and understand an understanding that you love me. I want to honor you in the way I handle my money. So that's the first 10%. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. In other words, bring in the full tithe, the full 10% into the storehouse or the place where you worship, the place that teaches you and cares for you, that helps your children grow up in the things of God. Take the first 10% and give it to God, to God's work in the church and never miss it. Now the Bible says that when you do this, he will honor you with the first fruits. If you do that, the first 10%, he, he will honor you back. He'll engage himself in your financial affairs and he will surprise you with his blessings and his grace. In fact, God says, to test him on this. Now, if I had a 50% pay cut in my financial affairs, the first thing I would do would be to change my standard of living so that I would not have to compromise my first fruit offering to God. That gift, giving that, that gift to God, provides me with a sense of certainty in an uncertain financial world. And this is an uncertain financial world we live in. That's a personal conviction of mine. For all of my adult life, God has had the first 10% of all that, um, that I've received. The second thing that you need to pay every paycheck consistently and even joyfully is yourself. You got off the couch. You worked hard. The Bible says the laborer is worthy of his wages. So pay yourself. Take the next 10% right off the top and put it into a long-range savings program, into an investment fund. Now, I know the investment market right now is in upheaval, so be wise. But the market has always stabilized, has always produced good returns over time. This isn't a vacation fund. 
This is a long-range investment fund. This is how you pay yourself. The Bible instructs us to do that as soon as we can, to set some money aside. It says that throughout scriptures when it talks about financial matters. It teaches set money aside. So you honor God with the first 10%, and then you pay yourself with the second 10% and uh, invest it, get your money working for you. Now what do you do with the 80%? With that, you pay everybody else. The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You pay for your housing, your food, your clothing, your transportation, vacations, education, debt reduction if you have debt. Because if you fail to plan, then you're just planning to fail. That's really all there is to a budget. There's all kinds of detail you can work out, but it comes in setting priorities. There's no doubt that it takes discipline, character, and fortitude to stick to that kind of a plan, to stick to a budget. That's why so many folks, I think, would be horrified if their financial positions were made public, if we flashed that up on the screen. Because I think we intuitively know that uh, underlying our financial condition, there's a statement made about our character. My financial condition, when it's all said and done, is a spiritual and character issue. It's not so much about nickels and dimes as it is about my willingness to honor God first. In your bulletin on the uh, side panel, there are a couple of examples of how this plan can work, and I would invite you to look them over. They're in the, the red box. Just a couple examples of how that can work. So if this plan is so basic, if it's so workable, and God would be honored, and you'd have a nice next egg, and it would free you up financially. If it's so simple as I'm describing it, then why don't most people do it? Let me suggest that it's because we know ourselves too well. And we know that somewhere in the dark recesses of our carnal lives, there's an uncontrolled urge to buy stuff, to get off the plan. Some of you have um, tried to stick to a budget before, and it didn't work because you caved in to the pressure to buy stuff. Like falling off a diet and then being afraid to get on again because you, you don't want to fail. Some people are what uh, I call impulsive spenders. They'll set up a 10-10-80 plan and within the first couple of weeks they'll be walking through the store and they'll see a display that says 50% off. And they'll say, ah, I have to have that. And they'll break the plan. Then there's compulsive spenders, people who have an unmet need in their lives, and instead of facing it and trying to um, work through it and resolve it, they go out and they spend money as a kind of escape mechanism. They medicate their internal pain by going someplace and buying something. Have you ever been there? It's easy to do. Some people eat. <laughs> Some people spend. When things get tough, you go shopping. And that leads to big trouble because it leads to bondage. It does not lead to freedom. Then there's the boredom spenders. I have nothing to do, therefore I'll shop. If you have extra time, let me suggest you take up needlepoint. 
or you can volunteer in the community or, or do something if you're bored. Then there's the special interest spenders. Here's the person who puts a plan together and then starts working on the plan and it's all going fine except he has one Achilles heel. He's a computer geek, has to have new computer stuff. Or a craft fanatic, has to have the latest in that. Or a golfaholic. You disproportionately spend on some special interest that has just captured your imagination. There are people who don't make not much money but you'd be surprised the percent of their money that go into some particular um, compulsive interest. And one final category, if I haven't stepped on everyone's toes yet, um, status spenders. This kind of starts when we're kids. Uh, some girl wears a new sweater to school, and so all the kids have to have that same sweater. And that continues on. It's a status thing. It goes on into high school and then it goes into college, and then into your adult life. Let me warn you, all of these things can happen to people who um, have very little money. It's, it's not just something that attacks the wealthy. I think you get the idea. So let me remind you of a basic truth of Scripture. You were born for freedom. When Jesus was on this earth, he loved to talk to the crowds about freedom. In fact, he said, If I make you free, you will be free indeed. And what he was talking about there was um, what the scriptures would refer to as a spiritual freedom plan for guilty sinners, for moral failures, for those who have stacked up a huge amount of moral debt in the face of a holy God. Jesus said, Okay, all of you moral debtors, through my death on the cross, I'm going to set you free spiritually for eternity. That's the spiritual freedom plan of salvation. And that's offered to every moral debtor in this room. Your heart was born for freedom. And you can be spiritually free today through what Christ has done for you on the cross. Understand that first you have to admit you're a moral debtor and that your creditor is a holy God. You have to understand that you can't get yourself paid up with him without his help on the cross. Through what Christ did on the cross, our sins can be paid for. We can be spiritually free. You were born, every one of us, for that kind of freedom. Christ made it possible, and it's available to you for the asking. So this morning, of first importance, if you need that kind of freedom, ask him for it. Ask him for it this morning before you leave this place. But then, once you're spiritually free, then Jesus says, look, I don't want you to give back any amount of the freedom that I've purchased for you on the cross. Don't give back a single percent of it. Don't go into any kind of bondage. Don't go into financial bondage because it takes the shine off this um, wonderful gift of freedom that was purchased for you by the blood of Christ. Some of you have spiritual freedom, but for some of you it's all covered over with financial bondage so that even though God has freed you, you walk around feeling weighed down like you're in prison. Please mark today as the end of that kind of insanity and say, no more, I was born for freedom.
Christ purchased my freedom. I will be free forever. So why not start being free in a financial sense? I encourage you this morning to get on a plan like the 10-10-80 plan or some variation that fits you, especially in these days of uncertainty, economic uncertainty. I encourage you to walk toward freedom. If you need help with this, just ask Hank. <laughs> now, if you need help, um, I'm sure Hank would, would be happy to share with you how to set up a budget. I would be happy to share with you as well. God didn't call us to be wealthy, but he did call us to be good stewards. When you fail to follow a financial plan, you fail to practice good stewardship. When you fail to give God his tithe, his 10%, you rob him. You rob the church, and you rob yourself of his blessings. As we begin our four-week stewardship focus, I challenge you to develop a financial plan, maybe the 10-10-80 plan. And I challenge you, and I'm going to challenge you again in this four weeks, put God to the test. God doesn't usually like to be tested. He doesn't like us putting out fleeces. But in this, um, in this matter, he says, test me on this, try me on this, and see if I don't come through. So whatever your financial condition, you're having a hard time making ends meet, I tell you, give your 10% to God and then it's his job to help you take care of the rest. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for your presence here. It's been a busy morning. Many um, joys to share, celebrations, but Lord, also some serious business, the business of stewardship. Lord, I pray that um, you would apply to our own hearts, our own lives, what we need to um, hear and to do this morning. Lord, you know the status of our finances, of our stewardship. And Lord, it is to you and to you alone that uh, we will give an account and that we must deal. So I pray, Lord, that it is you who will speak to our own hearts. God, direct us to make wise decisions, direct us to do things that would be um, wise for the, the future. But Lord, um, help us always to honor you. So Lord, we give you praise this morning. Bless us as we consider these things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of life, for the joys of each new day. Thank you for simple gifts of food to eat and water to drink. Thank you for work to do, even when that work is hard or monotonous. Thank you for the grace to be content in all circumstances, both in times of plenty and in times of need. And when you give extra blessings, whether they be material or spiritual, thank you for the ability to enjoy them. Indeed, all good gifts, including the gift of satisfaction, come from you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your boundless generosity. Bless us and use us this week as stewards of your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint at 211 West Kersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.